1: The place is Voorheesburg. The year 1987, and the air of the camp grows stale with the waft of socks and sauerkraut and socks with sauerkraut in them. We feel pinned in from all sides. We hear across the cold, desolate field cries of, give me back the apron, and that's my Walkman. Barold hasn't moved in hours his piercing mouth lips staring a hole in the snow of the trench with wanton abandon. A call comes in from HQ, and apparently all the pickled fish was rerouted outside of Ingolstadt, and now there will be no lunchtime festivities for many days. I've taken to not wearing underpants. My genitals serve little use to me now, and may as well be a source of humor for the men. A violent incident earlier involving a Rick Esley cassette tape and some neon sweatpants have left Heimlich with only one ear. To try and raise spirits, I have introduced an accordion into the center of the room on a little stool. No one goes near it and instead eyes it superstitiously like a chicken, may be wary of the fox. There is no end to any of this but death. The mail messenger with the parcel for Klaus brings us no closer to the truth and hardly any joy as his T'Pau poster that he has been waiting for has arrived ripped. His simply red singles collection provides him little to no warmth. I stop Helmut from whistling like a virgin in the corridors so as not to excite the hounds that nonchalantly licks their bones with a heavy sense of ennui. The atmosphere is thick and grey, like the lint I found one day into my belly button after wearing my regimental singlet with nine undershirt. We chew occasionally on salted beefs that we have been sleeping on, but the food brings us nine sustenance and nine sense of well-being. I take to removing all the red stickers from my bargain bin Rubik's Cube. There is nothing here but this spire. That was The Winter of 1987, read, as always, by Herb Wiener Dumpling. Part 7 will be tomorrow between topless gardening with Donald North and soap opera All the Hedges, in which Alan finds a new use for a trowel and Celia has a close call when the priest reveals he's really a Berkshire pony named Eric, her long-lost son. And now on Radio Flange Goblet, it's the after-movie diner, which this week features 37 individual uses of the letter Q. So, hello and welcome back to another episode of the After Movie Diner, and this week it's another exceptionally special episode, uh, as we have a returning champion back on the show. He's an even bigger international superstar at this point since last he was on. Uh, He's taken a a break out of his busy life of being a father, working a job and recording a brand new album of poop songs, yes, yes. It's none other than the massive local legend himself, Mr. Matt Farley. Hello, sir. How are you?
0: Hey, John. I'm doing great. And, um, I'm, you know, I love all your formats. And I'm glad you're, back, you're, you're bringing this format back a little bit after being just a diner guy for, what, over a year you were just a diner guy, right?
1: Yeah, and I'm doing this whole big relaunch of the website. Uh, I'm going to be taking it off Blogger and possibly possibly putting it on Squarespace. I'm going to go a little bit high-tech and a little bit modern with it uh, for lots of different reasons. Um, But I'm very excited about it, and I want everyone listening to hopefully help us with that by going to Patreon and sponsoring us or indeed buying an album or anything like that or just writing a review. Anything to kind of get us more notice would be great. But also I thought, well why not really put my uh, heart and love into what I originally dug about doing everything, like doing the website and doing the podcast and everything, which was the chance to do some music, the chance to do some comedy, and the chance to uh, uh, talk to uh, my, my many uh, friends and colleagues around this wonderful globe. And so while the diner shows will remain, I'm going to still go out with Jim once a week and see movies and things, I'm just when we don't have that episode, I'm, I'm going to call on you guys and uh, we're going to talk again. I'm going to love that. That's just going to make me happy again. It's going to be good.
0: Great. Yeah, uh, because just like I said, I like it all. Yeah. And I love the um, I love the bickering between you and Jim. <laughs> you guys will just like uh, a little point and you're just like neither one of you will be able to quite let it go. And you just get back and forth back and you feel a little tension, but it's uh, yes. it's all good natured.
1: Oh, most definitely. I mean, that's 30 years. If, if, if anything, the Wallace boys, uh, whether it's Jim or whether it's John, there's 30 years of, uh, I mean, at this point, brotherly friendship. So, you, you know, you have that with some of your long term friends where you can sort of say anything and do anything and you can... You know, rag on each other, and it's all good because by the end of the day, you hug and make up, and it's all great. So, yeah, Jim and I are doing that. We have fun doing, sort of pushing each other's buttons. And just like we did that video of um, sort of behind the scenes of what it's like to go out with Jim and I to the diner, we're going to do more of those and may even start going live, inspired by your good self, sir, whose periscope was some of my favorite stuff on Motor and Media Day. So, that was great.
0: Yeah, technology is amazing. I mean, uh, in a few years, we're going to have, uh, you know, the capability to do, um, you know, pro- semi-professional live TV from your house.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and I think that's why film companies and TV companies are panicking a little bit. Uh, and we, as consumers... I don't know so much in movies because I think movies are becoming big, overblown, CGI kind of tentpole things that I'm becoming less and less interested in. But I think in TV, um, sort of that water cooler, well-produced, well-written, bigger budgeted, bigger starring TV uh, shows, I think we as viewers are only reaping the benefit of that, I think. It's a golden age. It is. That's what they tell me. Although, funny enough, of all the so-called TV that you're meant to watch, Breaking Bad, Game of Thrones, Walking Dead, all the rest of it, um, <laughs> I don't partake in any of it. <laughs> neither, neither, neither do I. I
0: don't watch any of those. I don't watch any of those. No. Uh, I don't watch Downton Abbey either. Or, no. uh, what I, but – uh, like you said, I've been told it's a golden age, so I'm just going with it. <laughs> going with it, right, exactly.
1: Um the funny thing is is the two shows I do watch, uh, which is Ash versus the Evil Dead. I've watched every episode of that when it was on stars. Uh, and I also watch a show called My Crazy Ex Girlfriend, um, because Rachel Bloom she was, on,
0: your show, was yeah.
1: on my show. And so it's really this is right, this is how pathetic like podcasting gets, because Like, she was on my show before she was famous. She just did YouTube videos. I mean, she was famous for being on YouTube, but she was, she very graciously agreed to be on my Crosstalk program, which I'm sure she thought was, like, a bigger show than it actually was. It went out to, like, four people. That was whatever. (laughs) But, no, she was on that show. And now I feel like, well, we're old friends. Obviously, we're old friends, so I need to support her and watch her show. Meanwhile, she's winning Golden Globes and... You know, being on every chat show, and you know, she doesn't even know my name. So, but I do, I do actually like her show. I think her show is very funny, well written, and I think that what they're doing is quite subversive because it's on the CW, which is this known as this sort of twitty teenage uh, family network that shows sort of Beverly Hills Nine Hundred Two One Zero, the remake, and uh, Vampire Diaries, a lot of these sort of fluffy, kind of crappy shows to to me, to who I am. Um, uh, no disrespect to the people who watch those shows. Um, but then they're doing this sort of subversive adult comedy that's touching on, you know, uh, feminism and diversity and uh, bodily functions and sexual active activities and all this sort of adult create money and all this stuff that we kind of deal with day to day. And uh, they're doing it on this, like, fluffy network with this sing-along romantic comedy style. And I kind of like that. I like slipping in something a bit dark and subversive in a sort of twitty sing-along style, you know?
0: Yeah, you can get away with more in that format, you know? Likewise with animation. You can get away with a lot more animated than you could live action.
1: Right, exactly. No, that's a great point as well. I was going to ask, considering it is um, uh, Bruce Campbell's birthday today, and although he's a big old jerk, and he is a big old jerk, Bruce Campbell is is a big old jerk now since he had his uh, fame from um, uh, uh, Burn Notice and then the Evil Dead remake and now the show, he is a big old jerk. However, it is his birthday, and I was going to ask, have you seen... 'Cause I know that you're a fan of sort of VHS horror and stuff. Have you seen any of Ash versus Evil Dead? Is that even in your realm at the moment, dude?
0: No, and um I was I've I barely even been exposed to the evil the Evil Dead movies, I'm sorry to to admit. Um it it's it's not really my style. Uh when it comes to eighties horror, I'm a am uh, a slasher guy, you know, not yeah. these not these over the top kind of uh, you know, <laughs> showy, uh, effects-driven things. That, that doesn't do it for me.
1: Although there are plenty of over-the-top slashers um, that I've seen in my time. And I think you and I share that I'm definitely a slasher fan. If there is a genre of horror... I mean, I love, you know, From Beyond and Reanimator and Evil Dead and zombie movies and stuff like that. But uh, if I'm going to watch... Uh, any, sort of pull anything off the shelf just to watch uh, sort of for a bit of fun, it'll be a slasher movie because I think that they... They took a um, generic format and have beaten it up, changed it, done it the same, turned it around, mixed it. Like they've done absolutely every permutation of the uh, uh, sort of cookie cutter style of slasher. They've done every different type of thing. And I'm always impressed by that. Like if you can take three chords to put it into music, if you can take three chords and sort of make a million songs with that, as people have done, I find that kind of impressive.
0: Yeah, and likewise, you just have you know the boogeyman versus the teens, and it's been done in so many different varieties, and uh, I want to see them all. <laughs>
1: yes, I know I do as well. In fact, I actually bought a book called The Slasher's Compendium or something like that, and my goal, my, my bucket list, <laughs> because my life's goals are so menial, that my bucket list is to see every slasher in this book. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, I, I, I was on another podcast uh, just recently called um, "Hello, This Is the Doom Show," and we discussed how there's just something about horror that you want to—you just want to see them all in a way that you don't want to see. Um, you don't want to see every drama, you know. You're not no. like there's no drama fans, or like okay, <laughs> I just want to go back to the beginning of film and just see every drama. Nobody does that, but that's a very it's a very legitimate goal for lots of horror fans and i guess um horror there's few enough horror movies that it's 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 uh it's doable
1: yeah it's almost possible i have two two books: slashes and zombies and i'm going to kind of work my way through all of them over my entire life uh, that's that's the dream anyway. But the, the the other thing I think with slasher that's incredible is it. Com- I love detective stories. I grew up on detective story. Like I've always read detective stories. So there's always that element. The like who done it? Who is it behind the mask? The Scooby Doo thing. You uh-huh. know, like is it Old Man Withers from the arcade that's behind the werewolf mask or what is it? Um, There's that aspect to it. Then you've got the special effects, because I love special effects. So when they do, like, some crazy kill or some imaginative thing or, you know, they nail someone to a board with a javelin or something like that, like, I'm always impressed by that. I like the – it's like a good magic trick, you know what I mean? If you don't see how they did it, it's always fun. Um,
0: Yeah, I I hear that. And yet, like, intellectually I hear what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, but um, I want to get through – like, I – I just want to get through that. I, I like the suspense leading up to the kill, but then just it's like, all right, the kill happened. Let's just move on, you know, to the next. To the, ne- so the I, next.
1: You want just the next one,
0: uh, or just <laughs> let, let, let's enjoy the the suspense between this kill and the next kill too. Right. Sort, you know, right. uh, Yeah, if you look at like. Halloween, I mean, there's there's not even that much blood in Halloween.
1: And, uh... Oh, no, no, exactly. And in fact, Halloween, yeah, you're completely right. Halloween plays on the scares more than it plays on anything else. I was talking more once you get into the lower end, like once you pass the sort of Black Christmas, Halloween, um, but once you get past those ones that have the suspense and you're down into the sort of night schools and Fatal Games... Where it was all about gymnastics and stuff, and when you get to like aerobicside and these sort of <laughs> films, that that's when yeah, it's. Yeah,
0: you got to give him credit for you know like death by refrigerator or, or right, or right, right yeah. any number of, of ridiculous things. So I, I hear you,
1: yeah, um, and I, you know, and even as you get through like the Friday the Thirteenth sequels, like once you get to the weed whacker and things like that, I'm kind of enjoying that just for the sheer bravado of it i think yeah and, and comedy <laughs> and comedy yeah of course um so uh oh yes the other big news that i wanted to mention sir before we go on to review the film um because we have got big news and that is um uh, one of the films that brought you and i together originally uh, the wonderful alien factor has uh, been given a spanking blu-ray release Um, Can you believe that, sir? From the VHS (laughs) days of indie Baltimore movies, we now have it on the latest of technologies. Isn't that incredible?
0: That's really awesome. That is really nice. What kind of bonuses are they including? Do you know?
1: Oh, they've got all sorts. I know, uh, obviously, our good friend of the show, George Stover, is sort of the keeper of the dollar Grail when it comes to behind-the-scenes stuff. And, uh, in fact, uh, when you become his friend... George sends you a little jiffy bag full of dvd that have this treasure trove of, of behind-the-scenes of every Dola movie and John Waters movie and stuff like that. I mean, I am sitting on some priceless Baltimore-related movie treasures. However, he has delved into his sack of those, um, and there are some convention appearances. There's a commentary where he personally got together people... Um, uh, like Dick Dizel who are in the movie, and who's also Count Gauduval, uh, uh the horror host. And he also got, for the first time ever, on any of Don Dolo's stuff, even the documentary, uh, he's not in Tom Griffith, who plays the wonderful sheriff in that, and Night Beast. He is on the commentary um and and there's a bunch of behind the scenes stuff and some photographs and more george introducing stuff and george even signed the first thousand blu-ray copies that are ordered it it has a george stover signature on the back so it's i mean it's it's everything the fans could want and more really
0: yeah good for them imagine that you know a movie made you know essentially in your backyard in the in 1978, or whatever year it was,
1: yeah, I think so. Somewhere around there, yeah. Just yeah. it was just after Star Wars, the first Star Wars release, so 78, yeah. 79.
0: And it's still, uh, it's still doing its thing, still, still getting out there. That's, uh, it, it's inspiring,
1: it's inspiring, sir, indeed. And one day we will have the uh, vaulted Freaky Farley on Blu ray. We, you know, that will one day become, uh, they'll have it in the Smithsonian, it'll be there behind a glass case next to, I like to think. The Alien Factor, I like to think that those two movies or Fiend or something uh, would go very well together. Just sit them side by side in a gold case uh, encrusted with jewels, much as the, the British have the royal family's crowns and things, which are utterly useless. You can't do anything with crowns. They're too heavy to wear on a regular basis. What uh, did they
0: ever do? All they did was get born.
1: Yeah, they're ridiculous. I made a movie. He made, you made several movies. And I think they should be on display in the Smithsonian for all to see. Um, That is our dream and fervent prayer. But uh, for the moment, I just wanted to celebrate um, uh, the Alien Factor on Blu-ray.
0: Get your thoughts on it,
1: sir, and uh, see what you think. What do you think?
0: I think that's yeah. I think that's wonderful. You know, it's uh, like I said, I'm inspired, and uh, and um, it's a different time because it's amazing that that got on, I believe, TBS. Uh, You know, I'm pretty sure or or, right. Am I right? Superstation TBS? Uh,
1: I I don't know which TV station it played on originally, but you're right. It made its bones on TV. That's where it became
0: big. It got like national TV exposure. Granted, it was probably like at midnight or later. But I mean, for a movie that um, unprofessional, and I, I say that with love, yes. With a, with a movie that unprofessional to get that kind of, um, that many eyes on it in a time when there weren't even that many TV stations.
1: Yeah. And, it, and Dola had a career for 30 years making yeah. movies off the back of it.
0: Yeah. And like, uh, you know, nowadays uh, to get to get seen by a lot of people, like even on, on Netflix, there's a certain um, quality that you can't go below. And... And again, this sounds insulting, but I'm below that quality, so, so it's okay. You know, bo- both both in acting and in technical aspects that you could get away with in the 70s, 80s. Uh, maybe the cutoff is probably early 90s, but then at some point just like the standards were raised high enough that they kind of, you know, it's a shame because they, they, they hold back all the, the stuff made by local legends like these Baltimore people.
1: I, I agree, and I think that... Um some of the stuff that is made on high-def uh, digital camcorders, uh, made and then sort of pushed out by distribution companies onto things like Netflix, and a lot of these sort of mockbusters um, where they're trying to do uh, rip-offs of the big movies, but in a lot of, and, and the endless parade of zombie movies. I mean, we have had just a million in the last few years. And they're all awful. There's not one story, character... Performer or anything out of any of them that is of any interest, I would take all of Dola's work and all of yours and Charlie's work over any of those any day of the week. Because uh, I think what you deal with is is passion, creativity, humor, heart, uh, and talent in a way that they don't. And I'm not blowing smoke. I genuinely believe that.
0: Well, technology keeps getting better, and that's a good thing because it's going to even the, the level the playing field yes. even more. So, um, I agree. like I said, we're X amount of years away where it's conceivable that you could do a talk show, you know, out of your basement that, would, that people could view in high def, you know, on, yes. their, on their TVs probably live. In and fact, I mean, you
1: could film it on your phone right now. There's yeah. high def video on there's 1080, whatever they call it, 1080p uh, on your phone right now that you could record a thing on and
0: just put it online. And that's fantastic. So it is. And, it's and, beautiful. And and Dohler, all the work that Dohler had to do—that that people don't have to do now. I mean, to, to to make that movie a movie on your own on film and and the sound and, and everything else. Oh my God, so much more work. We are we are lucky right now.
1: We we are lucky. So I can't help but think that, uh, however, with ease comes. Um, a, a multitude that we have to wade through of 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 bad stuff in order to find the sliver of gold that is something like slingshot cops uh, yeah. which is coming out this year i know
0: i'm very excited for that yeah yeah but the, i don't know i don't know i'm not sure how many uh, how many people are bothering uh, bothering are a lot of people bothering to make junk i don't even know uh,
1: yeah i mean they if if, if, <laughs> if, yeah, if sort of The lower echelons of of Netflix and Hulu and various other streaming sites are to be believed, yes, people are going out of their way to make utter pish because I think somewhere along the line, someone's giving them distribution money. Like someone somewhere is saying, we need more zombie films or we need more shark films or we need whatever. And people are going out of their way to do that, I think, just to kind of fill that void. Um, But that is what it is. The other exciting news is that George Stover from The Alien Factor... Has his very own documentary out called No Stopping the Stover, which I love that title. Uh, yeah. No Stopping the Stover. And that's out right now, it can be found over at oldies.com. Uh, it's not on Amazon, it's being released by an independent releasing company called oldies.com. Uh, they also released the great double disc of Alien and Fiend uh, for the Alien Factor and Fiend. DVDs. They're also releasing No Stopping the Stover, so people should go over to Aldi's.com pick that up. Um, But uh, and and I am definitely it got me thinking again. So I am definitely going to make that documentary about you. It's got to happen, and then we're going to release it, and it's going to be huge.
0: Okay, I'm in. Yes. Uh, So that's definitely going
1: to happen. I mean, I think my plan always was, as you did the tour with Slingshot Cops, uh, showing it around the place. I was going to try and show up to as many in sort of the New England area as I could and kind of film you and all your pals there and and then do some sit-down stuff as well. So kind of start with the release of Slingshot Cops and then go from there, you know what I mean?
0: Excellent. Yeah, well, you know, there's a heck of a lot of very successful documentaries about creative people. And um, I think my story... um, is is just as interesting as theirs, if not more so.
1: Well, then when they build the statue to you, which I think should be the end of the documentary, like at the end of the documentary, all the way through the documentary, you should say there should be a statue of me, and at the end of the documentary, we should somehow get a statue of you. I think that's that's how we should do it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, I mean, also you have access to all my rantings on my podcast. You can grab a lot of good sound bites uh, from those things. Yeah, but
1: I don't want to do too much work. <laughs>
0: I hear you. yeah I mean it's you know No
1: no of course it's I'll be totally going back to this. I listened to your episode with Elizabeth today it was it was excellent so it was excellent. I I liked it a lot.
0: Nice. Thank you. I listened twice. Yeah,
1: uh, as well you should. Um, I also listened to several old uh, Dondola-related episodes of my podcast, and uh, it made me yearn for the glory days of the After Movie Diner, So uh, um, a lot more of those coming in the future as well. In fact, uh, I believe uh, Mr. Stover might even be uh, coming back on the show. So that Whoop. excites me, no end.
0: Yeah, very cool.
1: Okay, so so let's um, delve into the movie that you picked this week, and then we'll answer people's questions at the end. That way, they have to sit through the whole thing yeah. to hear their names being read out. Do you like my tactic? I feel like I stole that from you, or something.
0: You got to <laughs> suffer. You got to suffer through our ranch if you want to hear your name.
1: <laughs> right, and and we're sort of um, you picked. I was kind of surprised by that. We're well, not surprised, but like it was it was an interesting pick from you. I felt um, of uh, Scorsese's Cape Fear. And why don't you tell us, uh, first of all, like, where did that pic come from? Because you just tweeted it right back to me. You were like, how about Scorsese's Cape Fear? Where did, the, where did that come from, sir?
0: Well, it dates back to Saturday, Saturday night, when I was on the couch with my lovely wife, and we were looking for a movie to watch, and I saw Cape Fear on Netflix. And I said, ooh, I like Cape Fear. Uh, Elizabeth, you want to watch it? And she said, sure. And we watched <laughs> it, and, um, and I was delighted by it once again. And it was fresh in my mind, and um, and I uh, and, and so out of the blue, I get a, a message from you saying you want to be on the diner, and I was like, yeah, I want to talk about Cape Fear because that I've been doing it anyway. I, I went to a cookout on uh, on Sunday for Father's Day, and I'm just walking around talk, looking for anyone to talk Cape Fear with me, and no one was interested.
1: <laughs> uh, well, that's that's because, as you've said many times on your show, cookouts are stupid. They don't are. don't socialize with people because you can't talk about the things that you love with them because they only care about themselves.
0: Yeah, well, or, or it's not even just themselves. They just want to talk about bland, just uh, right. generalities, and I'm like. No, I, who cares how our lives are going? Let's talk about a movie that was released uh, 25 years ago.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's 25 years ago this year as well. Um, not only that, but you have uh, something of a coup here on the after movie diner as you're getting to getting me to talk about a remake.
0: I know. I, it didn't even dawn on me until you brought it up because this movie it uh, it really stands alone as as a as a true statement and a, a true individual work that I. I you know, I know it's a remake, of course. I've I've seen the original, but um it is its own thing. And uh you know, I mean we can get into the remake thing, but um I I'm, I'm um I'm I'm proud. I'm proud to have uh, broken you down and gotten you to talk like this.
1: Yes, indeed. Uh that's exactly what you've done. You have broken me down. Um <laughs> No, actually I, I was interested by it because um so it's It's 29 years after the original. The original comes out in 1962, um, and uh, it's about 29 years. And I think, let me just see, one of the ones that people quote to me all the time, which is The Thing. Every time I talk about remakes, remakes are terrible. People go, ah, what about The Thing? Mm -hmm. Um, And The Thing is uh, 31 years. So it's roughly around 30 years. And it's interesting because we're seeing a lot of the horror movie remakes that I rail against and rant against are sort of redoing movies that were released at the end of the 70s at the beginning of the millennium, which is about 30 years. So it's interesting to see sort of every 30 years, I think, there is this idea of like, oh, we can go back to that.
0: Uh, um, yeah, I feel like there's a heck of a lot of a difference. Like the difference in, in style of popular filmmaking between 1960 and 1990 the the, the way uh things have changed changed in that gap versus 1990 to now yeah is um is drastic like i think this 1991 cape fear could have been released um you know this year and 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 fit right in you know with uh with what what's playing you know it wouldn't seem dated whereas you know the 1962 cape fear is very dated compared to 1992. Do you know what I mean? Um, Yes,
1: in film style, not necessarily in subject matter. Like, I'm always amazed when I go back to older films from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, sort of almost how more mature they are. You know, a lot of people talk about sort of the infant infantilization of America during the 80s because it was all, you know, the horror was silly and the, uh, the big big budget movies were silly and everything kind of got a bit silly and goofy and la-di-da kind of thing. Um, and I disagree. I, I think the 80s are every bit of, as creative uh, as any other decade if not more so. But... Um, I'm always impressed when I go back to older movies to think, oh, yeah, they're dealing with very adult topics or they're dealing with sort of very difficult topics because I think we tend to look back at the 40s, 50s, and 60s and go... Well, that was before you were able to say all the stuff we can say now, or that was before we had any problems like difficult psychology or women's issues or anything like that. Like now we have all these important topics, and back then they didn't, and yeah. it's, it's, yeah. it's Nothing
0: crap. Nothing is new. You're right. Nothing's new. Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. and I, th- I think that one of the things – I always quote that idea that Monty Python had – which was they would do these historical movies, whether it's the Arthur legend in Holy Grail or um, Jesus' times in Life of Brian, but they would put all these sort of modern bickering in there or modern arguments or modern whatever. And actually it didn't feel unauthentic because human beings have been having the same arguments since we crawled out of the ocean. You know what I mean? (laughs) The Uh The same stuff goes round and round. So I think it's just our modern minds whenever the present is the present tends to look at the past as lesser than for some reason
0: yeah which is so silly because uh in in the grand scheme it's like a you know a blink of the eye the Mm. different 100 years even
1: yeah 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 yeah. well everyone tries to have superiority isn't it that's really what it is they want that superiority um uh either that or we of course look back with rose-tinted spectacles but then rose-tinted spectacles tends to be like life was simpler like we want life in the past to be simpler and yet if you look at the original cape fear and you look at the cape fear from 1991 life's no more simpler (laughs) you know i mean in either in either film or in either time period life is as chaotic in the 60s if not more so as it is now you know
0: yeah, um, but Scorsese—he uh, was—he uh, was in the middle of a, a good stretch right there in '92. I mean, he—that's Goodfellas, um, Goodfellas, then then Cape Fear, then Age of Innocence, then Casino. I'm pretty sure is the stretch that he was on. And, yes. Uh, that's pretty darn impressive. Oh, uh, it's it's
1: a it's a great stretch that he's on. Um, he's. And I
0: feel like Cape Fear is overlooked. You don't like pe- obviously people talk about Goodfellas a lot in Casino, whereas Cape Fear, um, it's it's I like it better. And no, who talks about it besides us?
1: No, nobody. And that's why we're. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's why we're better. I want to just – I'm just going to say it. I'm just yep. going to say it. That's why we're better and superior to everyone yes. else. Um, and, and I'll say this as well. Uh, Goodfellas, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's a bit long. Um, yeah. and, well, and
0: I like Casino better than Goodfellas. So do you? I.
1: I love Casino. I, I think Casino is a better film than Goodfellas. I think it's got more to say and it's, it's more fun to see them collapse under their own uh, BS than it is to watch them kind of be celebrated for being thugs.
0: Yeah, um, the, I, the last act of Goodfellas kind of loses me, whereas Casino holds me from start to finish.
1: I'm with it all the way, especially with uh, James Woods with his sleazy mustache and his jumpsuit. <laughs> I'm all for that. That's, that's yeah. my favorite character in there. Well, um, me,
0: well, <laughs> one other thing um, for Scorsese's great run, he also did, um, there was a movie called New York Stories, which I think was 89, where he, Coppola, and Woody Allen each did a 30-minute uh, short that was collected in one movie. Have you ever seen it?
1: I Yes, I own it. Uh, okay. And in fact, yeah. it's available very cheaply on Blu-ray from uh, Mill Creek.
0: Yeah, and um, the other two shorts I'm not a big fan of, but Life Lessons by Scorsese. Oh, it's a tour de force. It is really good and, and and a lot of the the kind of camera work that that he does in uh in, in Cape Fear and it, it is it is just uh yeah
1: good. and i feel i feel like of all the DiCaprio ones that he's been doing recently uh, everyone went crazy over Wolf of Wall Street, but I felt like it was – I didn't like Wolf of Wall Street um, for many reasons. Uh, first of all, it was too long, but also I didn't feel like the uh, main character was condemned enough um, <laughs> oh, it wasn't in con- any way. Oh, yeah. And in fact, they can say that they were condemning him by showing his excesses, but then the real guy that the movie is based on appears in the movie um, and not only paid for that, but also was paid for the script and paid for the story, and whatever so he 's making vast tons of cash off this horrendous story about screwing everyone over and treating everyone like crap, whereas yeah. Shutter Island, which I feel is like the cape fear of of, of scorsese 's modern run yeah,
0: um,
1: well, is by far my favorite I, I think to me it 's Shutter Island and then the aviator they 're my two favorite of the DiCaprio. Run,
0: yeah, Um, I like the aviator best of that run. But but you're totally right. Shutter Island is his Cape Fear of the of this uh, this time.
1: Yeah, meaning he goes back to the Hitchcock. There's a bit of Hammer horror in there. There's uh, you know he's throwing in um, some Italian horror references. Like he's it's it's him doing a fun genre film. And as, as serious as the topics are in Cape Fear. And as despicable as some of the actions are in Cape Fear, you still get the feeling that Scorsese' having immense fun making yeah. it
0: like delicious fun, you yes. know it 's kind of like oh, you know it, 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 it never it, it's like suspenseful and thriller, but it's never like horror because, because of that, or well, I, I have a theory that all the best art is is simultaneously every emotion at once kind of, it's funny yes. and it's, it's, it's thrilling and it, it's, it's sad and, and whatnot. Uh, Woody Allen's match points is a good example of that. Um, where it's like, you're watching it and it's tense, but it's also just like a little funny. And the way people are behaving is, is it's, they're not going for realism. It's kind of operatic, um, over I'm... the top heightened, uh, heightened. I mean, and, and with Cape Fear, even just the the, the red color of the sky uh, of the sunsets in the in some of those shots it's like that that there's no sky has ever been that red but it works for this movie
1: yeah he's doing cuz i mean there's always heightened moments in scorsese I mean. there's always he's king of the montage you know what i mean the musical montage with the uh, rock song and then a lot of sort of stuff going on and that happens in casino and goodfellas and uh, Wolf of Wall Street and uh, Taxi Driver, to some extent, although it's a sort of reoccurring dreamlike state uh, that he's commenting on in in Taxi Driver. But there's there's lots of those movie, his movies, where he's famous for having a a Rolling Stone. The The um, Departed has it, the Rolling Stones track, and that even yeah, um, Mean
0: Streets, I think. So. Mean
1: Streets, yeah, of course. So he's kind of famous for these things, which are very um, filmic and bold. However. Um, something like Goodfellas or something like Taxi Driver or something like Main Streets is seemingly grounded in a reality. It's not... He's not playing with reality in the same way as he is with Cape Fear. And what I mean by that is like... Cape Fear, is ve- he's saying, I am making a movie. Look how much of a movie this is. Yes. Look at this um, effect shot that I have where we've split the sky so that I can have these brooding red scary horror clouds coming over this serene Georgian house. Or, um, uh, you know, uh, here I'm going to do a negative uh, effect or here I'm going to whip the camera around 360. Like, there's some shots in here which are... Uh, and and look, I'm I, you know, obviously Scorsese was making movies long before this and I'm not saying I'm just saying it's comparable to Sam Raimi's kinetic camera work, with the zoom uh, the zoom into an item and then they lock the door or the, the hand flapping down the batter the, bat- the, the, the uh, blinds on the on the doors or The way that the camera spins 360 during the boat sequence at the end—it's
0: a Uh, thrill ride. It's a thrill ride. It's everything that a summer blockbuster should be. You know, it's Uh, like Scorsese was like, "Oh, you you want me to make a mainstream uh, thrilling suspense movie? Okay, here you go." You know, and he he just—he just went for it, and uh, wow, it is uh, start to finish. the only thing I don't like is the the bookend narration by Juliet Lewis. I mean, why do we why do we need this, like, poetic... Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't really get that either. It sort like, of doesn't... start the movie and finish the movie. You know, it, like, it's over. And then she's like, we never talked about it from that moment on. Yeah. And we don't... Shut up. It's over. <laughs> yeah, it's not really relevant. Um, and, and
1: I agree with you. And I think that the other incredible thing about it is it's almost like Scorsese and De Niro, certainly at the point that this was made, had been uh, vaulted high into the upper echelons of like movie lore or movie legend. In other words, De Niro was this incredible method actor and Scorsese was this incredibly important film director. And it's almost like (laughs) Scorsese and De Niro looked at each other over dinner and went... Let's make a movie in which we both just go bananas. Yes, you know I
0: mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so over the top when he's when he's in the um, <laughs> when he's in the movie theater smoking uh, his cigar and laughing. I mean, it it can't be at all taken uh, realistically. It's just like this is this is just pure popcorn um, fun at the movies, and uh, and I like that. I, I like it a lot because you you you. It's like like a thrill ride. There's moments where you're jolted, and then, but the next minute you're kind of like giggling.
1: Yeah, and I think I think that it's it's interesting because a lot of these guys, these you know De Palma or Scorsese or Spielberg or whatever, they're all sort of uh, uh, considered these grand uh, masters of filmmaking. The one thing rarely that anyone ever points out is that they're genre filmmakers meaning like a gangster movie that's like a genre you know horror is a genre um, uh, action is a genre whatever it is so um, while they have both made serious films you know Age of Innocence is not a, a genre film Sin Schindler's List is not a genre film um, but while, they, while they've while they done that they have both made uh, these you know or, or all these filmmakers have made these Films that, um, I, you know, this one directly harkens back, obviously, to the uh, late 50s, early 60s. But that period of time where if you went to the cinema, you were seeing a western, a detective film, a gangster film, uh, you know, and then the odd drama would come out. And I suppose Cape Fear has drama elements in it. But it's it's a horror film. And the way that Scorsese's reimagined it is as a technicolor booming soundtrack full-blown scary psychotic performance from De Niro sent you know uh, uh De Niro is Freddy Krueger you know what I mean in this movie um and 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 it's it's a horror film it's a it's a it's a Hitchcock it's an Argento it's it's it's, it's those also kind of uh,
0: we should say a noir obviously uh it's definitely a noir um and I, I I I, I want to um note Body Heat from earlier in the from the about 10 years prior to uh Cape Fear. Yes. Have you seen Body Heat?
1: I have done. Yes. Uh, yeah. Kathleen Turner and William William that, Hurt? That,
0: yeah, yeah. And that's another one. That's another one where they um they did a good job of of updating it for the uh for the 80s, but uh, it's I mean Body Heat is not a remake, but it, it could be, you know, because it's so Rooted in the elements of of a, of a noir film, but uh, but they do it right. And both of those movies also have the like everyone's sweaty, you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, 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 <laughs> but definitely. It takes
0: place in in Florida and um, Cape Fear's in the summer in North Carolina, and it's just like everyone's kind of uncomfortable and sweaty. In the same way that uh, Rear Rear Window, I always like to watch Rear Window <laughs> in uh, in August, you know. On a yeah, hot yeah, yeah, of course. Night put on rear window and just you know just kind of feel a little uncomfortable and uh, you know your windows are open and you're wondering what's going on in the neighbor's house
1: and, and I think that weirdly enough that the one that screams as influence on both those moves, both body heat and uh, the updated Cape Fear is um, I think a lesson mentioned Hitchcock because it's not the birds and it's not rear window and it 's not psycho, and that strangers on a train, yeah. which again has that it's in the south um it had everyone's sweaty um there's that big uh ending at the uh fairground Mm -hmm. um where hitchcock is doing crazy things with the merry-go-round and the tunnel of love and all these things you've got the um central character i'm gonna forget his name right now bruno that's it who's the who's who is uh uh uh, the -the over-the-top psychotic you know loves his mom and has a vengeance kind of thing yeah very um,
0: much like the de niro uh, character. maybe obviously a little more buttoned up than de niro because sure. i mean no one's more over the top <laughs> than de niro is in, in this movie
1: but it's you know and then of course in body heat you've got the whole idea of you do my murder and i'll do yours kind of thing right in body heat isn't that one of the things she's trying to convince him to do
0: I, can't, I don't remember the plot. I just remember knowing that it was fantastic. I've seen it a couple of times, but it's been a few years.
1: Yeah, I think she's trying to convince him to to do away with her husband or something like that. I think that's yeah. part of Body Heat, um, which is which is also kind of the through line of um, Strangers on a Train. And yeah. again, Strangers on a Train is another example, uh, as is Psycho, as is Rear Window, where I watch those old movies and I go, wow, they're having exactly the same... Uh, uh, approach to um, a Psycho on film, to uh, Oedipal complexes, to uh, male and female relationships, to what, what you know, you name it, uh, um, the fear, whatever it is, that we would have today, you know what I mean? And and it, you really can trace um, whether it's Anthony Perkins in Psycho or whoever plays Bruno in Strange on the Track, I can't remember off the top of my head right now. Um, right through to someone like uh, Hannibal Lecter in Silence of the Lambs or Max Cady in the update, Kate Fair, or, or whatever it is. You can really sort of see it's a rogues gallery of all those characters, um, and to say that it's a modern invention, you know, is naive, you know?
0: Indeed, indeed. Body Heat, like I said, is not a remake as far as I know. It's, it's, it's an original, but I mean... It's basically just plucking all all your favorite elements of those movies into an original script. Uh, and you know, and then Cape Fear is a remake. And um the, but they could have just as easily said let's make a movie about, you know, a um uh, a criminal taking revenge on his lawyer, you know? Yeah, and, and in and fact then it's not, not a remake. So I don't know like I guess for for the the sake of branding, I, for the sake of branding, you call it Cape Fear and you get a lot more press because people remember the first Cape Fear. There's that. And then I guess in terms of honesty, if it's like if you're going to make a movie like that, you're either just stealing elements without giving credit or, or you're giving credit. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, completely, and and let's have the, the remake thing very quickly just so that people kind of, because people are like, well, wait a minute, John's railed against remakes, and if anyone posts now, because they're doing a remake of It and they're doing a remake of a whole bunch of stuff, um, uh, Death Wish, they're doing a remake of Death Wish and various other things, and, and every time anyone posts anything about it, um, I just post no exclamation mark or fuck off or something. You know, I'm just rude about it at this point. <laughs> it's
0: my fault. Uh, John was very nice to do this... Uh, this um Episode. But I I apologize. I I I should have thought twice.
1: No, 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 but no, but let me explain. So I think when it comes to remakes and retellings, because look, every time someone does a Sherlock Holmes story, whether it's uh Peter Cushing that I dearly love, or whether it's Robert Downey Jr., which I also enjoyed because they're two different takes on the same thing, Mm -hmm. they're remakes. When anyone makes a Shakespeare story, they're remakes. When anyone makes, you know, they say there's only three or four stories in the world. There have been plenty of Strangers on a Train type stories where the femme fatale asks the guy, you know, dupes the guy into doing something he wouldn't normally do. You know what I mean? That's, that's a story. That, that's been played out multiple times. Yeah. And, and it comes down to one very simple thing for me when it comes to remakes, and that's intention. Um, and I think that the intention of someone like John Carpenter, who was uh, already an established director um, with his own original work, or the David Cronenberg doing The Fly, or Scorsese doing the uh, Cape Fear remake, I think it comes down to intention. What do I feel watching the film is the intention of the filmmaker and or the people in it? And while, of course, there was a studio system and, of course, money was involved and, of course, show has always been show business, I, always, I understand all those arguments, I feel like the modern rash of horror movie remakes, and I keep calling them modern, but it's been the last 15 years almost that they've been pumping out this crap since the Dawn of the Dead remake. But the Dawn of the Dead remake is a great example, uh, uh, similarly to the Evil Dead remake or, or any of them. And I feel like with those movies... The intention there is, well, we've got to have a name that everyone recognizes, and we've got to have zombies in a shopping mall, because that's what was in the original one. Um, but that's as far as we care about anything. Like, yeah. as long as we can slap the tag on it and put a poster up and call it the same name and have zombies in a shopping mall, it, we don't really have to care about anything. Why do the zombies run? It doesn't matter. Um, you know, uh, wh- why is it just going to be this sort of big, thoughtless action movie with no real sort of mind behind it or storyline behind it or characters behind it or anything like that? It doesn't matter. It's called Dawn of the Dead. There are zombies. It's a shopping mall. Away we go. Um, Whereas I feel like the intention John Carpenter's the thing is he's reread he's a big fan of Howard hawkes he's a big fan of the original but he's reread the short story that it's based on and he's gone okay I can develop a movie that is about something more than just uh, a, a generic alien attacking some people in an isolated area and I can start talking about human paranoia and I can start all these interesting characters and you know we can talk about the the. Uh, you know, the destruction that comes from within rather than necessarily uh, an alien or a supernatural presence. And I feel like the same way Cronenberg's doing with The Fly. And I think what Scorsese has done with Cape Fear, when you watch Cape Fear, all the topics it touches on, from um, vigilantism to the way we perceive the law, to the way uh, women are put on trial um, during rape cases, to... um, the psychotic or the crazy or even the criminal justice system or even the prison system or um, uh, guns versus no guns, violence versus no violence, you know, all those things that it's covering, it's very, for all its theatre and for all its opera and for all its crazy horror and everything's dialed up to 11, it is touching on and updating and um, being serious about these themes that are still very, very important today. I mean, you only have to look at the... Uh, Bill Cosby case or whatever it is um, and the way that the women are still put on trial and, and so on and so forth in, in rape cases or all, all, all the statistics that you know 60% of rapes are never even reported because they don't feel like it would ever come to any satisfying conclusion. So th- there's all sorts of things in it that it's examining that were worth updating were worth talking about and were worth um, dramatizing in, the, in in this way that you can get out of it and so I think that there's There's an intent there that isn't just, well, everyone remembers Cape Fear, slap the name on it, make it De Niro and Scorsese, and it will sell a bundle. I don't think Scorsese's ever made a movie with that in mind. You know what I mean? Um, And I mean, obviously, he wants to be successful. But if you look at um, I think he's more like Woody Allen. I think he tells the story he wants to tell. And if occasionally he has a Wolf of Wall Street or a Midnight in Paris or whatever it is that happens to be a massive hit, um, then great. That just means he can carry on making more movies. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah.
1: So I think when it comes to remakes, the reason why I rail against the modern ones is I just, when I look at the Halloween remake, Evil Dead remake, you name it, I just see a boardroom of guys counting money. That's all I see. I don't see any creativity behind it at all. Um, I don't feel that way with Cape Fear. I don't feel that way about The Thing. I don't feel that way about The Fly. I don't feel that way about the original Maltese Falcon. Uh, I mean, not the original Maltese Falcon, but the the one everyone knows. Even Which though is it's a remake, a, yeah. It's a remake. Um, uh, you know, and I don't feel that way about Sherlock Holmes stories and so on and so forth, as long as they're coming at the source material with an interesting intention.
0: Um, yeah. And uh, what are your thoughts on Cape Fear? I mean, uh, I I put it up there with, with one of Scorsese's uh, best movies, and uh, and just a, a pure cinematic delight. Uh, wh- what are your thoughts?
1: I, I think it I think it's absolutely a fascinating movie, and I think it's a fascinating movie because you can watch it like we're talking about, where it's just a roller coaster thr- thriller, psycho thriller, horror, whatever you want to call it, um, noir film. Uh, with insane visuals and 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 a uh, ratcheted up crazy performance in the in the center of it from everyone, really. I mean, everyone. There isn't really a nice character in this movie. Uh, everyone has sins uh, yeah. in well, this we, movie. Let's have
0: a moment for Joe Don Baker, by the way. Joe Don Baker not
1: break up should children make her a not not break up make her break not make her shouldn't break up shouldn't break up should children make her children make her children shouldn't break up shouldn't make her children make her up should make her children make her children make her make her
0: children make her not He was, he was so good and hilarious too. I'm just, every time he's on screen, I'm just cracking up, you know, and he's coming up with these new plans and they're all going wrong. (laughs) Right.
1: And I think, I think also Scorsese's aware of, I think Scorsese's aware of every single bit of comedy, drama, horror, uh, love, whatever it is. I think he's aware of every single emotion. And I think like, um, Opera like Hitchcock like uh, theater whatever it is he is really dripping every single drop of yeah um, performance emotion excitement and everything that he can out of the subject matter I think it's a very good script I don't think there's a, a, a bad line or a bad idea in the script I think it's a, a, it's a very very good script yeah. I think it's um, it, it's both uh, incredibly purposefully shot but also joyously off the chain uh, in in some moments Um, I think that uh, De Niro's performance is both utterly spine chillingly horrific and gloriously pantomimic like completely over the top and ridiculous in some bits where his accent is all over the place and um, you know his strutting about is ridiculous and his preaching is ridiculous and and it's and yet you are gripped and scared by it from the moment he
0: turns up on screen. Um, oh can I also know Yeah yeah go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Juliet Lewis perhaps her best performance ever. She she just uh, encapsulates that um teenage girl in every way. Uh, yes. She really you know like um oh. And another,
1: another really di- you know another really difficult thing that's in the movie the idea of burgeoning sexuality. So uh, uh obviously he's a predator obviously he is uh, a child molester or at least you know uh uh, uh on that borderline of rapist and child molesters. um and and yet she is obviously also uh having those first awakenings um and it's there is that wonderful sort of well not wonderful but sort of um there is that examination of that blurred line which yeah. is kind it, of it, horrific but also human do you know what it, I mean
0: yeah, and you be- totally believe that she would have a, a little bit of a thing for him. Like, you, I buy it a hundred percent the way that they present it.
1: Yes, yeah, she's tremendous in it, and I think, I, I, you know, I think she has a very hard role to play. I think Jessica Lang has an incredibly difficult role to play because there's kind of she's the most innocent. She's not done anything wrong. She's not cheated on Nick Nolte. Uh, uh, she's not um, been. Um, uh, uh, lured by Max Cady, Um, you know, she is uh, uh, doing her work at home. I presume she's a designer or an artist of some kind, Uh, uh, loving her dog and looking after her daughter. Um, And yet, because throughout the movie, she is either on Nick Nolte's case, uh, uh, you know, or they're arguing or they're bickering or whatever, or she's drinking or she's smoking or whatever it is, um, there 's this implication that she 's sort of a bit of a bane to be around, you know what I mean, yet we don 't see those years and years and years of neglect and abuse that Nick Nolte has put on her um, uh, um, that led her to become that person so although they all seem like shrill uh, uh horrible bitching people, you know she 's got every reason to be at that point, but it 's a I very
0: go, yeah yeah, I sympathize with her for sure
1: of course, but it 's a very hard role to play because she 's got to play bitchy uh uh certainly in certain scenes where you want to feel sorry for nick nolte because he's being uh hunted down and he's being attacked and he's you know his family's in peril um but you also know what a scumbag nick nolte is yeah
0: yeah i know he's he's playing racquetball with that girl and you're like oh nick what are you doing what are you doing nick not good not good at all but um yeah, I I I really I really was happy to watch it um last Saturday night and um oh oh I should, the last thing I want to say is um like you know like you know it's over the top, gleeful, fun, you know, throughout. Obviously it, it it hits like like you say, lots of serious topics that get you thinking. And all the while it can still be fun, which is amazing. But the moment when you're like, okay, like there are no rules is when the camera pans down and we see that De Niro has been uh, attached to the bottom of their car. For,
1: for, <laughs> right, 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 right. It's
0: like, like a, a couple, hundred mile drive, like a hundred mile drive. He's just like, he's just hovering below their car, you know, and it's like, okay, any anything can now happen. Yeah. And, I'm all right, and I'm all right with it. <laughs> oh,
1: completely. I'm absolutely fine with it. Um, I'm even fine with the completely ludicrous ending where like, like our slasher villain, we were talking about slashes earlier, like a slasher villain, you just can't get this guy. <laughs> <laughs> he keeps coming back at his, you could see the makeup artist there going like, well, hang on a second. I've already burnt him with water. How am I meant to make it look like he's now been burnt with fire? Plus, wait a minute. You're going to film this on a boat. So he's constantly being covered with water. Like, the makeup artist must have been pulling his hair out, going, "How the hell do I do this?"
0: I've always wanted to make a movie. Like the thing about all these movies is, if the char- the main, ca- if the main characters are smart, they would have dealt with the menace, and and the movie would be over after twenty minutes, you know. <laughs> and and so I want to make a movie where you know, so- at some point in the movie, the character has to deal with a slasher situation, but gets out of it because the main character is smart and then the movie but the movie continues and it's you know that's just a section of, of a full movie
1: yeah and in fact I've, I've i've been talking with jay mayo jay mayo and i might might go into production on a short uh, or either on a short or a feature of our own uh, filmed at his house in massachusetts and one of the ideas i had was a slasher that then kind of becomes an action film because the main character is not an idiot and decides to be like, well, okay, if there's someone out there hunting me, I'm going to go after them. Cause that's what I would do. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I kind make of it got fe- this idea. Feature.
0: Feature. i kind
1: of had that, that similar, similar thought. And the, I mean, it's been done in, in horror movies. It's not an original thing, but uh, I've got certain ideas that I want to, want to throw in it. And it's going to be also with my sense of humor and Jay and whatever, I'm going to write a draft and then send it to Jay and he's going to do a, uh, a, a sort of mayoism all over it, and then he'll send it back. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no. So, um, what was I say? Oh, yeah. So, uh, like a slasher villain, he keeps coming back. At the end, it does get it does get ridiculous. Um, but I, you know, there 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 is. It, it's very interesting how uh, Scorsese is able to throw everything in this movie, even the kitchen sink, and yet there still be moments in it where you are thinking and questioning. And one of the things you were saying about, like, a lead character being smart, I think one of the most interesting things about the original Cape Fear and this one is the idea of the fact that up until a point, Max Cady is aware of the law, is aware of what he can do in the bounds of the law, Mm -hmm. um, and therefore sort of torments them without ever being... um, uh attackable or a pro- or or, or yeah. uh, 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 arrestable or anything yeah. like that.
0: And it makes you feel pretty fr- like as a viewer you feel that frustration even, you know? Like right. the, you feel how no must feel, you know, like a lot of pressure like you're you're kind of tense while watching it. And that's why the funny moments are that much funnier probably.
1: Yeah, and and you know when they start coming up with all these hair brain schemes of what to do about him. <laughs> um <laughs> On one hand, you're like, well, that's just stupid. Don't do that. You're just going to enrage him further. But on the other hand, you're kind of like, well, they've right. run out of recourses. Are tied. Yeah, exactly. Like, what are they going to do? Um, I, what do you think, dude, about the original stars showing up, Mitchum and Peck showing up in this yeah. movie as they do? I love it. I personally oh, love I it. Oh, I
0: love it, too. It's a it's perfect touch. And, I mean, they're kind of doing the opposite, um, right? The yeah. guy who's the good guy kind of is the bad guy in this one. you know. And um, I, am I right?
1: Well, no, because Peck 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 in the original is Nick Nolte's character. So Peck in the original is the attorney, and in this he's an attorney, yeah, but an
0: attorney for for De Niro, you know, and oh, uh, for
1: Katie, right? But yeah. he's kind of at he's kind of doing his Atticus Fitch thing, right? He's kind of yeah, doing it To Kill a Mockingbird fucking. a little bit with Over his
0: the top, yeah, his, his
1: his southern lawyer with his little pocket watch and his <laughs> <laughs> his waistcoat. It's all very sweet, isn't it? Um, and quoting from the Bible and uh, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It's wonderful. Um, and Mitchum is the kind of shady chief of police who suggests to Nulty Yeah. You know, why don't you take the law into your own hands? To which Nulty's <laughs> like, what did you just say? Like, are you crazy?
0: Yeah, and um, then he's like, I, don't, I, I never said that. It's great. Yeah. So I like how...
1: Like, there's... I, I think... I mean, I do love the movie. I do love the movie. I can't really sort of place it, like, Taxi Driver will always be my favorite Scorsese movie because it has such a formative place in my heart. Like, I saw that right at the time you're meant to see that, and it has sort of stuck with me ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's tons of Scorsese movies I love. Casino is another one that I, I remember. In fact, I saw sc- Casino kind of when it came out um and uh, and i've sort of loved it since then cape fear is one i came to later um and i came to cape fear and the original cape fear at exactly the same time because they were released in a dvd box set in the uk with both movies which is a great way to do it it's a great acknowledgement of the original um mm-hmm. while also releasing your update uh, as is having the stars in in the remake um and uh, and it gives you an exa- It gives you a way to contrast both and, and so on, um, and so I, I do love it. I do I do love the movie. Um, I don't know kind of where to place it in Scorsese's output.
0: Um, yeah, that's the thing because he's not he's not aiming for like he's not aiming for all time statement on humanity or you know where you know Taxi Driver deals with heavier issues. Goodfellas and Casino both feel like heavier issues are being dealt with, you know, and so it's harder to give it because it doesn't have that heft. Where it, it's it's much more pure entertainment, you know. And, yeah, uh,
1: definitely. I but but there's um. Well, I was going what was I gonna say about it? Um, I, w- I was constantly intrigued as well. I don't know how many uh, how how much of this you've seen, but there are sequences in this movie that are filmed like. A rom-com from sort of the early 60s, like a sort of uh, Doris Day, Rock Hudson type thing. There's a sequence where Nick Nolte's face is, they're in the kitchen of the home towards the beginning. And Nick Nolte's face is close up and Jessica Lange is in the background. Yeah, and they're sort they're of laughing. Having
0: the, a. Are they both in focus? Or there's one where they're in the bathroom and there's a, like a weird effect where they're, they're not, not lined up next to each other, but they're both in focus. Do you know what I'm talking about?
1: I, no, I do know exactly what you're talking about. And and I think that there's an, there's an effort, especially with the family scenes, um, whether it's the arguments or whether it's the, the, the happy moments, to also to almost make them timeless. Like, they could have been filmed last week, but they also could have been filmed in the 50s. The mm. way that Nolte is dressed, the way that the there is no... Um, There's no depth. Like, he flattens out the image. Yeah. Uh, Even when there is a depth of field, even when Nolte's very up front and Jessica Lang's right in the back, they're both in focus and they're both brought up to the front of the screen. It's a very interesting technique, and it's what they used to do in uh, things like Pillow Talk or whatever, like those old 50s um, knockabout things. But even in films like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, the... the, um a Poitier movie and stuff like Like any of those movies that were made that were kind of part serious, part comedic from sort of the 50s and 60s, this movie looks like that as well. Like it's got so many influences in it and they're it's all the bouncing off each other all the yeah, time.
0: It's, it's cinematic tour de force. That's what it is. It's it just Scorsese flexing his muscles and saying, you know, I don't need to make a big statement. I don't need to be making The Last Temptation of Christ. I'm just going to make a, a popcorn thriller and... And and make it just so many layers, so many layers. And- but you
1: see, the Last Temptation of Christ is equally hilarious because you have Harvey Keitel That's and William act- Defoe in like the Holy Land. You know, what I mean? you have these guys walking around being all New Yorky <laughs> in like Judea. It just doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, I I only tried tried that movie once and I was just like, oh, I can't watch this. This is so so dull. Ugh. Right,
1: right, 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 right. Um yeah. but no, yeah, there was there was a point I was going to make about about this movie. I find it um I I just find it a bit of an incredible film. Like it's kind of unlike it's kind of unlike anything else in a, in a weird way because there's a totally serious way to watch it, but yeah. it's also completely bonkers. Um and
0: well, the, the, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but The Shining is the same way. Shining is the the scariest movie I've ever seen, and it's also one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. And um, and, yes, and Kubrick knew, you know, and and it's got that stuff where you're super tense, and then like the word Monday comes up on the screen, and you like jump because <laughs> it says Monday, and then you giggle because you it's it's silly and funny.
1: Uh, One of the things people always forget about these guys, whether it's Kubrick, Scorsese, or whatever, whenever they're going on and on about them, and and I think I've probably gone on, I sound too fucking pretentious as well, but the thing they forget about these guys is they have a sense of humor too, you you know what I mean? Like, we all have a sense of humor.
0: Barry Lyndon, (laughs) it took me a while to figure out, I I watched Barry Lyndon a couple times, I was like, this just seems so serious and boring, and then you watch it, like, the fifth time, you're like, wait a second, every second... Of Barry Lyndon, and it's three hours long. (laughs) Every second is hilarious. Oh my god, this is this is unbelievable.
1: Yeah, and I like. I was one of the few people who liked Eyes Wide Shut because I think in Eyes Wide Shut he's poking fun at human sexuality and human relationships, and I don't think that's meant to be a serious examination. I think that's meant to be, you know, funny and truthful.
0: Tons of humor there, but but. It is a, a simultaneously serious and you know, and every and and a little scary, and that that's why I brought up Match Point because it's the same thing. I I'm tense, but I'm also kind of marveling at the uh, the I guess husbands hyper, and wives hyper, hyper realism too, you know. But Hus- yeah,
1: husbands and wives. Um, uh, with again with Juliette Lewis in it, there is some stuff in Husbands and Wives. That is utterly horrifying. If you've ever been in a in a relationship that's even at all fractious, um, and there's bits in it that are utterly hysterical. The sequence where he, uh, Sidney Pollock is dragging his aerobic instructor out of a party and they're having a horrible fight, I'm kind of laughing at that as much. But as you're I... a little
0: tense too. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know.
1: Yeah. But there's there's also what's that great? What's that? Great, is it in Crimes and Misdemeanors when? Someone ties up his sister and goes to the bathroom on her, and it's really horrific. But then Woody Allen comes home and sits on the bed and says, A strange man went to the bathroom on my sister. (laughs) And his wife rolls over and says, Turn the light out when you get into bed, or something like that. It's like, (laughs) it's, it's making light of these horrific and horrendous situations. You've got to give Scorsese his due with the scene with Harvey Cotel and Jodie Foster in Taxi Driver and with the scene with Robert De Niro and Juliette Lewis in the school theatre in Cape Fear, he has put on camera two sequences in which there is no uh, overt violence um, and and only the slightest sort of sexuality in both scenes, physical sexuality, yeah. and yet both scenes absolutely make your skin just crawl up the wall. Yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you and you think to yourself, how did Kaitel and how did De Niro perform those scenes with the in the case of Kaitel sort of horribly relaxed calm that he has dancing with this underage girl? Um and 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 the the horrible forcefulness and charm that De Niro performs that scene with. Like, how do they find that in them to do that? I, I just... There's no way I have any, when near the ability as an actor to even come close to wanting, wanting to do that, let alone being able to do that, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it's not even your actor uh, qualities that make you not want to do it. Maybe it's just your human qualities. Like, I'd rather... Um... Like that, that's a bit of an awkward situation. It's a very awkward situation to be in with a teenage girl. Just in in re, in real life, Jodie Foster was thirteen years old, and um, Frank. You know, I'm glad. I, I like Taxi Driver, but I mean, I don't think it's healthy for her to have played that role. And uh, I mean, this is a completely different topic. But <laughs>
1: no, go ahead, dude. Go ahead. Any,
0: any director who's not, you know i exploiting a child i you know obviously they they make sure the parents uh, give consent, and i 'm sure you know uh, yada yada, yada, but still it's like of all the movies you could make, why do you have to make the one that requires hiring a child to to behave that way that that's a little bit unconscionable, a lot unconscionable. I would never do that
1: okay so let me i i 'm in, interested then i I need to ask the question there is um Uh, there is Taxi Driver, right, where Jodie Foster's parents were on set all day, and although she has to uh, maybe talk about or act like she knows about certain sexual acts, she never is seen in any kind of uh, sexual situation. Uh, um, I don't think, I'm trying to think, no, I don't think she is. Apart from that dancing with Harvey uh, there's there's no sequence in it in which she is anything other than the innocent he is trying to save. We as the audience only see that, right? Yeah. And then there is the film The Hole, which was Kira Knightley's first movie, I think, or one of her first movies. And in that movie, again, her parents were on set. And in that movie, she uh, is both seen uh, uh, making out with a guy and, and sexually objectified and so on and so forth, but also removes her top. And she was only 15 when she was making that movie.
0: Yeah, shame on everyone involved. Shame on but, everyone but involved. But not
1: only that, but that's making us as an audience... Uh, I don't know the age of the character. I've not seen the whole movie or uh, uh, know or remember what age the uh, char- her character was meant to be.
0: You just watched the topless scene over no, and over. I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I haven't seen that either. I just know about it. Uh... No, you're right. I just watched the top of the scene. No, I'm kidding. Um, but what I mean is that to me is more horrifying than Jodie Foster being a taxi driver. I trust everyone on the scene of st- stage of taxi driver. I don't know that it's okay for Keira Knightley to be 15 and be doing that. I feel,
0: I feel guilty. Um, I mean, we have kids in our movies who have very small roles. <laughs>
1: you have kids running uh, a lemonade stand, dude. Yeah, nice.
0: I know, and I still feel bad because I feel there's something exploitative about it, and I wish that humanity would get together and say, you know what, for the sake of, of humanity, let's all agree that no one under the age of 20 will be in a movie. You know, and, But then uh, you
1: don't have Time Bandits. Oh, then, you, well, then you don't have NeverEnding Story. Then you not have Labyrinth. Well, then you don't oh, have...
0: Oh well, I, I'm just saying I don't think it's healthy, uh, a to be to spend all that time on the set with you know you're 13 years old you should be in school and um and and playing with your kids and b it's very unhealthy for for your face to be uh, on billboards and to be attending the Academy Awards at age 13 and um you know Jody Foster seems a little cuckoo maybe. Uh, Maybe she'd be a little more grounded right now if she hadn't lived that life.
1: So you will not be putting either of your two children in your movies then for, uh, going forward.
0: No, no, uh, no well no, that's the thing. I mean uh, I thought I'll,
1: you'd be exploiting <laughs> your children the moment they're old enough. So.
0: I don't think so. I mean, it's a it's a fine line. My movies for one thing don't get any um aren't seen by almost anyone. They're just backyard productions. So I don't have to worry about them um dealing with billboards of themselves or or being nominated for awards. So that's one thing off the the list of things to worry about. So, but, you know, I'll give them a couple lines in the movie just so that they're part of the process and having fun with the family. But, um, I, 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 you know, this is way off topic, but, uh, and, and, you know, I'm guilty of enjoying, uh, plenty of art that involves, uh, you know, child actors in it. Um, but it's like, would I do it? I would, I, I don't know, but I'd feel bad about it. And I definitely wouldn't do, I wouldn't make Cape Fear specifically for that. It's like, you know what? I would just feel dirty, um, <laughs> just having Juliette Lewis in her underwear in her, in her bedroom with Nick Nolte like slapping her. It's like, eh, there's other ways to spend the day.
1: <laughs> there are, there are other, there are other ways to spend the day. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think the only reason I would disagree, uh, uh, is, um, that I think that I like the fact that there is um, music and movies about topics, and books, for that matter, about topics that uh, should be discussed, should be thought about, should be uh, examined. I think that there is a fine line between um, talking about those topics and exploiting them. I think, for example, what Scorsese does with Taxi Driver and Cape Fear is very much right up to the line. Um, But I still think that there is a decent enough intent in there. But then if I think about some of the more um, horrific stories uh, that have been told either in books or movies, or if I think about some of the films of like Lars von Trier or people like that... um, uh, or you know uh, some of the stories about what was that the little children with uh, Kate Winslet and whatever and he's a, one of the guys in it is a child molester. And they, I don't think those movies need to be made. <laughs> like yeah, I, yeah. I think it's to I mean, do with but, intent, and I think there's certain lines that can be crossed. And I think, think that yeah. Would,
0: would you want your daughter playing that Jodie Foster role in Taxi Driver where she's wearing? Um, you know, these incredibly tight uh, clothing or, or she's offering favors to Robert De Niro. Just that. I wouldn't want my my kids saying that those lines. That's that's unconscionable.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I I, <laughs> I I don't know. If I had the crystal ball and was able to look in the future and go, Taxi Driver is going to be one of the seminal movies of the 20th century um, and this is going to give me longevity in my career. I mean... Yes, Jodie Foster seems a little cuckoo, but then she's grown up entirely in Hollywood.
0: Yeah, so, and that's very unhealthy. Nobody should be exposed to that kind of... Um, but I don't, think she's,
1: I don't think she's cuckoo because she played that character. I think it's more to do with just never having been. Like when I spoke to Clint Howard, for example lovely guy but clearly completely devoid of the the trials and tribulations that someone like you and myself have to go through mm. you know what I mean just because of his family lineage and, and because he grew up like he was three years old and was, was in a, an episode of his brother's TV show yeah. uh, and, and and he has been acting he's now in his 50s he's been at oh, almost 60s I think and he's been acting probably longer than anyone's ever acted no one's acted from the age of three all the way through you know um,
0: Drew Barrymore.
1: Wait, well, yeah, Drew Barrymore was was what five when she did, uh, um, yeah, E. T.
0: Something like that, and uh, that didn't seem to like. Shame on you, Steven Spielberg. Oh, yes. you got her to say all these cute little lines, isn't that yeah. great? And then, and then, four years later, you know, she's popping pills at a party, and it's like you are complicit, Steven. <laughs> Uh, look, we don't need. To, we can do another debate about this sometime. I, I think we're past your deadline. Uh, do you want to do lightning round questions before we wrap this up?
1: Yeah, we're we're good. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll wrap this up. I have one last thing, though, sir, just to wrap it back up to the the beginning of our conversation. Uh, in fiend, Don Dola kills his daughter and puts <laughs> her in the back of uh, uh, an ambulance on screen. Is is that unconscionable? Will you no, go as honestly? Far? That
0: is that is the right like obviously like. I, I, killing, I don't, it doesn't matter that, that the character died, but like, that is the level of involvement that, that I'm comfortable with. The, the kids are like behind a log and saying like, oh, look over there or something. I, if that's the, I know they're in a couple of the movies, but I, you know, and then they're killed off, you know, a minute later in the plot. So, you know, they got to be involved. They were, they had very tiny parts. And you know she she was on a, a stretcher, big deal, so i'm okay with that you're
1: okay. I like that you've defended don dola that's fine. I'm happy with that if you had, uh, if you had gone into one of your funniest rants against dola then i uh, no. uh, we might have had words so. right.
0: um. if, if the kids were the main characters, then I would feel very differently, but it, it's just that nice little little thing just and you're like, oh, it's a fun little time between uh, father and children and, and I'm, I'm fine with it.
1: Okay. Yes. Uh, me too. So, any more points on Cape Fear? Other than obviously, people should go out and see it.
0: No, I think we covered it. Uh, thank you for talking to me about it because uh, it's been just brimming up in me since Saturday. I had to get it out.
1: And was it satisfying? Did I did I satisfy that that itch that needed scratching?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you are an astute film watcher. You don't you <laughs> you don't just let a movie kind of go by. You're you're watching closely. You see what's happening. You see what's being referenced from. Uh, and you know the great camera work and
1: uh i'm enjoying yeah. it though i'm never not enjoying it and i think that you were right to single out joe don baker who has been a favorite of mine for years and years and years he's always good fun I love
0: him.
1: okay so before we get into the lightning quick listeners questions rounds it's just me butting in to uh, interrupt the show yet again uh, to say don't forget we are completely and utterly revamping uh, the After Movie Diner website as well as trying to bring you a podcast every single week and maintain uh, everything that we've been doing with reviews and interviews and videos and everything uh, which takes a lot of time energy and effort if you want to help and support us please go over to www.patreon.com forward slash After Diner that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash After Diner and sponsor the show uh, or you can go to misc plumbingfixtures.bandcamp.com if you want to buy one of our albums or you can look up miscellaneous plumbing fixtures on spotify and stream the albums for free and we get a little bit of kickback Uh, either that or you can donate directly on the website aftermoviediner.com and all sorts of ways to uh, sponsor and support the show Uh, all is appreciated Uh, all is absolutely fantastic and thank you thank you thank you Uh, if you don't have the money then please rate and review us rate and review us wherever it's possible itunes stitcher spreaker all those good places rate and review us spread the word share the word tell everyone about aftermoviediner.com tell everyone this is where you get all your movie news and fandom from Uh, we are your one-stop shop Uh, please help us out please keep us going and please support us Uh, every tiny tiny little bit helps Uh, so please do that thing now back to the show Okay, so first question from Jim, my usually regular co host and the wonderful Mr. Jim Wallace. He says, if, and on the subject of remakes, if Matt could have anyone remake River Beast, who would it be and who would play the best tutor in Rivertown, USA, has ever seen? Bear in mind, Matt would be paid fat piles of cash to stay far, far away from the project. So, in other <laughs> words, he's saying it would be a remake, but you wouldn't be able to have anything to do with it. Yeah. Uh, you would just be paid bundles of cash. And you'd have to go away. Uh, who would you want to remake it? And who would you want to star as your character, the best tutor in Rivertown, USA? Uh,
0: let's have um, Let's have our, our Wes Anderson direct it. With uh, let's get he and Owen Wilson back for a full length movie. Owen Wilson's playing the tutor, and Wes Anderson's directing.
1: That's. That's interesting. So, and where's where's Anderson does a monster movie? That's kind of one genre he hasn't really done.
0: Yeah, he's due for that. And and frankly, I just I miss those the you know, it, Bottle Rocket and uh The Royal Tenenbaums when he was co-writing with Owen Wilson and that, 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 that's the prime uh moments for for his career. I liked uh, the 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 Hotel movie. It was really good. Really good, but uh, again, it, like you said, it's like when you see them. You know, I was When I saw a Bottle Rocket, I was like 20, I think, or so, and yeah. and I was just like, ah, oh, these guys, I love these guys, and I rode that wave for a while, and there's been some ups and downs, but it's time for them to get back together and, 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 and make my movie.
1: Uh, I agree. That would be wonderful, and I would be uh, on board. I, however, would like you and I and Charlie... And Tom and everyone to somehow have cameos in it. I, I don't want us to be far away. I think, I think we need to be in it. Well, um,
0: that's fine. I, I
1: like how I'm putting me in. I, I've, by the way, I've just latched on to your group now and that's it. That's how it's going to be. I'm sorry. There's no, there's no getting rid of me now,
0: I'm afraid. Welcome.
1: <laughs> so uh, Peter Osman says, okay, so modern cinema is filled with beautiful looking men with rippling muscles, but no hard man personas. Who are your favorite manly hard man actors of days of old?
0: Manly, uh, you, <laughs> you got to read this before me. Do you have an answer while I'm thinking?
1: Uh, I do. I like Charles Bronson. I'm a big Bronson fan uh, because I think Bronson has the steely gaze and uh, the weapon-handling ability of a manly man, but he had the lithby voice of a little boy, which I think is a hilarious combination. Um, I'm a big Clint Eastwood fan, not as a human being, but as an actor. Uh, as a human being, I think he's confused, old, and miserable. Uh, <laughs> but I think as, a, as an actor, he's done some tremendous work, and he's definitely got the, the hard man grit to him. And lastly, Robert Mitchum, to bring it back to Cape Fear. Robert Mitchum, for me, uh, yeah, he's he is everything I look for in an actor. He's awesome.
0: Yeah, let's give it to Steve McQueen. He's he's a nice uh, tough guy.
1: Sure, that's a that's a good answer too. I agree with that as well. But okay. but
0: uh, much like we said about uh, how the past becomes uh, glorified, in in thirty forty years, people will look back and be like, they don't make him like Mark Ruffalo anymore. <laughs>
1: Yeah, as long as they say that about Mark Ruffalo and not uh, Mark Wahlberg, who can can go run off a pier. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, it's it's so funny because let's say when I revamp the website that like five years from now I have to interview like Mark. Well, let's say I, suddenly the website takes off. It won't, yeah. but let's just say, and I have to uh, 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 interview Mark Wahlberg. Am I going to be a dick to Mark Wahlberg, or am I going to sit there and be like, "Oh my God, you were so good in that movie, even when it was a piece of crap"? Like,
0: (laughs) it's Uh, going to be so interesting to see. That's the question, and uh, I look forward (laughs) to finding out. But I mean, um, I I offered you a remake to discuss, and you didn't. um, You went for it. You know, you could have uh, stuck to your moral high ground and said, "I refuse."
1: Uh, No, I've I've always said that there are certain remakes that I completely accept because I think that the first of all the directors are from a proven trading ground of doing their uh, own there, original there's material. There's
0: a huge difference, and I'm, yeah. just, I'm just teasing. You're yeah, right yeah, yeah you. of course.
1: So Mark Burns says, uh, Desert Island Discs, you're allowed only three films to take with you to a desert island. Theoretical question, you would need some form of power. Uh, but what three films and why?
0: There's got to be a Hitchcock movie in there, so Rear Window for sure, because... Um, it's brilliant. You know, you can just watch it over and over again, and um, it just—I never tire of it. Uh, next, let's go. We discussed it before. Barry Lyndon, because it's sprawling and long. You know, I got time to kill on this island, and uh, every time I've watched it, I've seen something new. It is a really good movie, and. Stardust Memories. We got to get, get Woody Allen in there, and that movie. Uh, uh, another one. Each time I watch it, I'm 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 just as happy as I'm. Happier each time I watch it. Uh,
1: well, that's that's fantastic. Three fantastic picks. Um, I, you know, it's really difficult for me because there, there's 50 movies that I want on a desert island. Um, I could take all three of your films and be perfectly happy. Um, but I'm not going to pander to you uh, in answering this question. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I would probably take um, uh, Monty Python, The Meaning of Life, Mm -hmm. because I feel like it has every single aspect of Monty Python in it. It's not their best film, but it has every. And I think that because it's basically like eight short films, I wouldn't get so bored of it.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh,
1: So there's that one. Um, I have to have a Bruce Campbell movie. It's a toss-up between Evil Dead 2 and Baba Hotep. Uh, Baba Hotep is the better performance, but Evil Dead 2 has the memories, and I feel the excitement. Uh, I, I have
0: seen Baba Hotep, but I think you should choose Evil Dead 2.
1: Evil Dead 2. And then, and then I see, uh, I want to say <laughs> Hannah and Her Sisters.
0: Ah, nice. To have
1: a Woody Allen one. But I also want to say Blood Massacre by Don uh, Dola because yeah. I think that you George already Stone have a, be. you
0: have a horror movie though. I know
1: it? I do. Yeah. God, this is difficult. <laughs> this is really difficult. It has to be, um, taxi driver. I'm going to go taxi driver
0: <laughs> out, of, out of nowhere. Taxi driver takes it. Well, because
1: I always have this answer when people say, what are your favorite films? I have this answer. I go, okay, if it's schlocky films, it's evil. Dead two and blood massacre. If it's serious, highbrow, thinky films, it's Taxi Driver and Apocalypse Now. They're like my two favorites, and that's just one of those things where if Apocalypse Now or Taxi Driver's on TV, I have to watch it. Just it comes on, I have to watch it. Mm-hmm. Now I love Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones and all those movies, but like if I'm talking top movies, it's those four. So I'm gonna have Evil Dead Two, I'm gonna have Taxi Driver, and uh, what was the third one? Uh, Meaning of Life, Monty Python. I think that would that would do me. Okay. Excellent. Um, so David Brighton asks, which is the biggest distraction in a cinema? I think he means texting, whispering, or crisp bag rustling.
0: Oh, uh, I, I got it. I, I just like to go on the record as saying I, I'm fine. People can talk, people can eat, people can use their phones. It's not. I mean, if I mean if they're loud, if they're loud, I'm gonna go with whispering. Of those three. Because it's like, go ahead, eat your food. Go ahead, check your phone. I mean, if you're talking loudly enough that it's uh, interfering, I'm a little upset.
1: Yeah, you see, for me, it's texting. I I think that the noise of uh, the movie will cover up most conversations. If someone right next to you is whispering, that's a pain in the ass. But, like, most conversations that are being had in the cinema, the movie is loud enough to cover them up. However... Nothing can cover up the bright light of your phone in a dark theater. It will—I, My eye will always go to it, and it will always annoy me. And also, there is no need for it. If you were going for a job interview, you wouldn't get your phone out to text. If you were going to um, a funeral, you wouldn't get your phone out to text. Like,
0: Well, th- well, well, ju- you just wait. I mean, um, you're living in an in in, in antiquated age where people... <laughs> didn't bring didn't text during funerals i mean the, the future is, is <laughs> on us and you're going to have to embrace it because uh, I, i'll i'll tell you i haven't been to many funerals lately but i'm willing to bet that texting happened at every at 90 <laughs> of the, the last uh last year's worth of funerals
1: I, i'm just saying if there was a place where and i was trying to think church um uh whatever it is, there are certain occasions where people go I'm like, if you go on a date, right, you might you put, text.
0: If you go on a date, you put your phone on the table right in front of you. <laughs> and you, you check that phone frequently. That's the, it's okay. a new world, John. You're going to have to um, advance or, uh, or just um, become obsolete. Yeah, I'm
1: going to become obsolete <laughs> happily <laughs> because texting in movie theaters, I think they should be dragged out into the street and beaten to death with their own phones do (laughs) we have more questions we do sorry dude I'm keeping you up Um, what are the top 5 action movies that have not seen a DVD or Blu-ray release that need to be given the special edition treatment Um, I don't know if I have a top 5 but I want to see every Don Dola movie on Blu-ray action movies action movies that don't have um, Blu-ray treatments
0: I got I got nothing for that. I, I'm not an action movie guy, and I definitely don't know what's been released in the action uh, I genre. I mean, I
1: would say anything by PM Entertainment. They all kind of need Blu-ray releases and haven't had them. Anything Cynthia Rothrock is in, I know that there's an Asian Blu-ray of Yes, Madam, but I don't think there's one of Above the Law, and that's a really great Hong Kong action movie. Um, there's probably a ton from 80s and 90s that need to be Released a couple of Dolph Lundgren, John Jean- claude Van Damme. Don't know off the top of my head. Sorry, Max uh, Falkenham, but thank you for asking the question. Uh, Peter Osman offers Ronin. Uh, is apparently long past a special edition Blu-ray. Current MGM catalog release is awful. Um,
0: uh, well, let me just say there's one movie called The Mean Season. Kurt Russell, 1985, Mariel Hemingway. Nice. Yeah. I don't know what the release uh, situation is, but I, I know that it, it hasn't gotten its due for just uh, sheer joy. And in fact, maybe one of these days, if I'm back on the diner, we could uh, discuss it.
1: Uh, okay, definitely. Um, Peter Osman then asks Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Crashers, Starman, and Stargate had a fight. Who would win? The prize is a gold star. Uh,
0: star Wars would win because it's the best of all those titles. <laughs>
1: I, I, I massively disagree on
0: that one. <laughs> Let's <laughs> uh, hear it.
1: I would say either Star Trek or Stargate. In fact, in fact, if I was on a desert island and I had all those movies, I, I, and I only had movies with Star in the title, I guarantee Star Wars would be the last one I would watch.
0: It would be the only one I'd watch. Ser- on the island. Every day I'd be like, what to watch today? Yeah, I'll watch Star Wars again. Mm. I, have, I have no interest in the rest of those.
1: Really? Have you seen Wrath of Khan?
0: um I, I I don't know what ha- what it is just something about uh Star trek it just it, it just there's really there... even with
1: william <laughs> Shatner and uh uh deForest kelly and and Leonard Nimoy even with the original cast no interest just huh?
0: seems to me no joy just, no uh, no fun or oh, it, it's
1: all joy sir
0: maybe uh, i just it didn't register to me as a child <laughs> and I've never been able to give it another chance
1: this is this is controversial we're having a controversial moment here um right.
0: Controversy Which sells.
1: Everyone loves controversy. <laughs> I couldn't care. I mean, really, Star Wars, Star Trek, Really, ultimately, who cares? Uh, yeah,
0: I mean... <laughs> it's uh, just it's, funny. It's, we, we, I think we're both well aware that everything we've discussed tonight is of no consequence. No, no consequence, consequence.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, Aaron Carruthers asks... That's a great name, Aaron Carruthers. He says, are there any British films that we should be introducing to Americans? Um yeah, I've kind of touched on this in previous diner episodes. Um, Mona Lisa, Long Good Friday, the original Get Carter, um, Without a Clue is a great uh, British comedy with uh, Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley. Uh, basically, if it's got Michael Caine or um, Bob Hoskins and it's made in the 70s or 80s, you really can't go too wrong with it.
0: There's a movie that we're uh, eventually going to cover on Shock Marathons called House on Straw Hill from the mid 70s and uh it is it is something else and uh stay tuned to my podcast eventually to learn about that one.
1: Oh yeah um we'll have to get, give a big plug to your podcast at the end of the episode sir um i'm just scrolling through twitter oh uh this is a great one um a bloke down the pub who writes great hammer horror re- remo- movie so wait, reviews. i thought
0: that was you that's not you
1: that's not me sir no oh.
0: That's funny. I thought that was just one of your monikers, but that's a different person. That's a
1: completely different person, and I know who it is, but I'm not revealing it. Don't. Uh, A bloke down the pub who writes great Hammer Horror reviews. Uh, Hammer Horror is another great Anything with Peter Cushing, Donald Pleasance, Christopher Lee, and uh, all great British movies, um, watch all of them. Amicus or Hammer, you can't go wrong. Um, But he asks, this is a great question, what's your all-time favorite monster?
0: Favorite monster. I'm gonna. Uh, uh, who's my favorite monster? Woo! Sheesh! I don't, uh, you know, um, you know, in Return of the Jedi, when um, the big monster that that, that at 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 um. God, you
1: and Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star. No carry on. At sorry. Jabba
0: the Hutt's palace, um, I think Luke is dropped down into some pit where he has to battle this giant monster, and he and he he wins, and then as as the end of the scene, we see there was another monster that was kind of his keeper, I think. I, I don't know if it's a human, but okay. the, he's, he's crying. That person is crying. He's got monster qualities to some degree. That's But he's my favorite monster. <laughs> not the one who died, but the one who's crying because his friend died.
1: <laughs> Your favorite monster is an inconsequential, rubbery alien in Star Wars.
0: Say, Yeah, but it's like... Oh, he cared for that. He was like the carekeeper for this giant evil monster, and he's yeah. sad that his friend's gone. Um, and and uh, purists might yeah. might argue with me that that could be a human, but I, I feel like he had at least some monster qualities.
1: Fair enough. Um, and it's interesting as well, because I see that Trash Money or Rob Loves Beard on Twitter also asked the Star Wars or Star Trek question. Oh, I'm, I'm definitely Star Trek. All well, uh, the way. Your Star Wars. Um, uh, my favorite monster... Uh, I could go for the pretentious answer. My favorite monster is man. Um, But I'm not going to say that because that's awful. And I need to be punched in the face for that. Um, What is my favorite monster? Um, uh, Everyone's going to get tired of me mentioning Dondola, but screw it. I think uh, my favorite monster is Fiend. I think he's an awesome monster because he's sort of part glowing red space lobster And And part part (laughs) zombie. (laughs) But also part music teacher. (laughs) Also part music teacher. Well, not just music teacher. He owns an international music school. (laughs) He's only been carporeal for a few months. But there is a bit where he's...
0: Urban neighborhood, yeah. Yeah,
1: he sends George Stover off to France to the school (laughs) over there to do some accounting. So I'm like, really? They have a school in France already? This is <laughs> a an inter-
0: yeah, a lot of questions.
1: <laughs> this is an international school. Yeah, so probably Fiend. I'm a big fan of that. Um, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, uh, if we're talking classic monsters, I like Dracula, but only because I'm a big fan of Peter Cushing's Van Helsing. To me, the only Van Helsing. And uh, every single monster should be taken down by an old British man in some form of tweed coat, um, uh, i I think that the casting of Donald Pleasance, which I believe was originally going to be Christopher Lee in Halloween, um, is uh, classic because uh, his battles with Mike Myers, certainly in the sequels take on a van Helsing stroke Frankenstein quality i think mm. old man, old British man in a long coat you can 't go wrong he 's your monster killer. Um, whereas in your movie, you have Edo Hookins, who plays a mean <laughs> harmonica and likes looking at the picnic babes, but, <laughs> but is useless <laughs> as a monster fighter.
0: I know, I love it. Yeah,
1: that's, that's fantastic. Look, Matt, that has been an absolute thrill. Uh, we're now hearing sirens in the background. They've come for me to take me away. Great
0: talk, yeah. This has been tons of fun. Thank you so much for breaking the, uh, the remake oath, and it was worth it, because we've said it many times, but this movie, it stands on its own. It's its own thing, and it is uh, highly recommended and a little bit overlooked, you know, in the Scorsese uh, canon.
1: And I think if there's any through line for all the films that you and I have covered on the diner, it's great people doing great work that is so often overlooked.
0: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, I mean, uh, it's like, we don't need to, I mean, it, it, we do sometimes, but we don't need to sing the praises of Star Wars and Jaws, you know, pe- everyone knows, but it, it's those, those lesser movies made by, uh, you know, sometimes by big names and sometimes not, but, uh, you know, and, and that's, that's what's great is people who keep on making stuff, you know, and some of the stuff gets exalted, some of the stuff just kind of, uh is forgotten about, but um, if it's good enough, it'll get its day. And thanks to you and I, Cape Fear has now had its day.
1: It has indeed, um, and I'm I'm already running through other monsters in my head that I would also love. Um, uh, Bub from Dare the Dead, big fan of him, um, and uh, and I think the um, uh, gospel Caps need definitely need their place in the monster pantheon. It, uh, I, think, it's I think. their own language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and their own language. So, sir, let us end as we do uh, with you plugging uh, everything that is you uh, as, as quickly as possible.
0: <laughs> all right. Listen, to all you jerks. Go to MoturnMedia.com. It's like modern media except with a T instead of a D. And check out everything I got, all my music and movies, too. There's a whole movies page with many of the movies right there. You can watch them and, uh, and sit back and enjoy Some Dollar esque homemade uh, filmmaking. And hey, you know, one of these days maybe I'll make uh, an exciting Cape Fear esque movie, you know, with Kevin McGee in the Robert De Niro role. That might happen someday.
1: Yeah, it needs to be, what are we, are We 20 years, 25 years, you said. from the So another six years, and you can do it because we, we said every 30 years we could do remakes. <laughs> so in another six years, if Hollywood doesn't beat us to it, you've got to make a Cape Fear remake
0: well, with we're, we're Kevin gonna,
1: McGee. <laughs>
0: we're going to do it the informal way in which it just happens to be a movie about a, a criminal who has a grudge <laughs> against his defense attorney, but uh, we're going gonna to call it Fear Cape.
1: <laughs> Fear Cape because he wears a cape.
0: Yes. Fear the cape. Oh, that's a great idea. Uh,
1: he wears, yeah, McGee wears a cape. and yeah. And it's you and Elizabeth and your kids can be the family. Because by that point, uh, your kids will be old enough. No,
0: no. To they're be, be exploited. Yeah, absolutely not doing it. You're, see, you're trying, I tried to lure you into the world of remakes. You're trying to lure me into the way of, of child exploitation. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: I am. Well, maybe you could have, I think, in which case you have to go the opposite. You have to find a 40-year-old woman and then say she's 15. That's how you have to do it.
0: It's fine. Look, it's fake. We know it's not real. (laughs) I mean, we're watching a movie on a screen. Nobody thinks this is real life. So let's just suspend our disbelief for the sake of the children.
1: Yes, I think it would be hilarious, though, you dress her up. In like a, a tiny <laughs> girl's costume, but she's got to be sort of 60 or something, maybe. Or
0: Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. I, I think that at the beginning of every movie, now that there's a new rule, no one under 20 can be in a movie. There's just a little disclaimer that says, please... For the sake of the children, please suspend your disbelief. And Since then the movie starts.
1: Your favorite movie has to be Grease then, where all the teenagers in <laughs> high school are played by 40-year-old actors. Yes. Oh, yes. Stockard That's- Channing playing a teenager is the most hilarious thing I've ever seen in my entire life.
0: Yeah, it's great. I'm all for it. Because, you know, the teenage years are not everyone's best years anyway. Why are we putting that you know why are we preserving that on film
1: i agree and look at um isn't uh by the time they get to back to the future three even though it's meant to take place over just a couple of days yeah uh like michael j fox is like 50 by the time he's <laughs> <laughs> i think he's, he's kind kind like of... 25 in the first movie
0: right yeah yeah i mean but he's got a youthfulness that uh that shines through but you know i suspend my disbelief all the time anyway so you know sure. I don't yeah.
1: think Robert De Niro really broke someone's arm and tore their cheek out, so I, hey, I suspended my discrepancy. Yeah. yeah. Uh,
0: anyway. So
1: that's it. Coming soon, Moton Media's remake of Cape Fear called Fear the Cape, <laughs> in which a 50-year-old woman will play the Juliet Lewis role. Oh, uh,
0: that's going to be real fun.
1: In <laughs> fact, that the, the, the person playing the daughter has got to be older than you and Elizabeth. That's the rule. <laughs> That's the rule. Anyway, sir, it's been an absolute joy, absolute pleasure. I will let you go now. I'm so sorry I kept you so late. And yeah, this uh, has been fun. Thanks so much, man. And now I am more than a little excited to present what is essentially an exclusive Motown Media song, not available anywhere else but this podcast. Take it away, Matt.
0: Robert De Niro's gonna get back at you if you don't defend him properly. Oh, Robert De Niro's gonna get back at you if you don't defend him properly. An ignoty in so much trouble. Why does he play racquetball with the pretty little clerk? Oh, oh. She's gonna get hurt. Oh oh, oh. But she will not testify because she knows how it goes. Martin Scorsese's got no excuse For the way he exploits Juliette Lewis Better to compromise your art Than to give that immature little girl its part Society should throw a mutiny Against propping up children to such scrutiny Society should throw a mutiny Against propping up children